Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Test Tubes and Cauldrons, a podcast where we talk about the science behind spirituality. I'm Astra. I'm Fel. And I'm Honey. And this week we are going to be talking about the moon and great timing on our part because we're doing it a couple of days before the full moon and on a Monday, which is the planetary day of the week associated with the moon. We didn't quite get our act together fully and do it during the planetary hour, but we're only about an hour off, so not too bad. But before we get into that, I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to Fel to do our what happened on this day. Okay. Here I go. Well, first of all, it's Valentine's Day. There were like a ton of things that happened all this day in science, which is just wild. Oh, yeah, I wrote this. I said, happy Valentine's Day. Your heart is a muscle the size of a rat. I don't know. That's just a, a, f- a fun little fact. George Bassett Clark was born February 14th, 1827. He was the elder son of the American family of telescope makers and astronomers, Alvin Clark and Sons of Cambridge, Massachusetts, who figured importantly in the great expansion of astron- astronomical facilities, which occurred during the second half of the 19th century. Before the family business began, George made a telescope in 1844 out of melted down brass of his school's broken dinner bell. That is very specific. His father, Alvin Clark, was at the time an established portrait painter, but his son's interest also spurred his father to begin making refractor telescopes. That's a, a very wild chain of events to be your dad's a painter and then you make a telescope and your dad's like, oh, that's a great idea. The father taught himself to be a master op- optician and eventually in business with his sons made the first refractor telescope. This is not as important, but or not as relevant to today's episode, but there was a man named James Bond in science who died today. Wild. He was an or God, I can never pronounce this. Orth ornithologist, which was birds, there you go. And then I also think Dolly deserves an honorable mention. Uh, in 2003, Dolly, who was the world famous first cloned sheep, she was put down at the age of six and a half years. Dolly was born at the Rosalind Institute in Edinburgh, Scotland on July 5th, 1996, which is a week to the day before my birthday. I was born July 12th, 1996. Now you know my <laughs> exact birthday. Um, I just I just loved that as a kid that Dolly was born a week before me. Exactly. Anyway, I'm not going to go into the details of Dolly because we already did the what happened on the state. But yeah, Dolly the sheep. Clone first clone sheep died today. I remember that actually. I do remember when Dolly died. I remember being very upset because I loved her a lot. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so why did we choose to do an episode on the moon? Well, you know, unironically, actually, I had a friend from our Discord, hi Andrew, <laughs> um, approach me and he was like, You should do an episode on the moon. And I was like, what on earth would we talk about for an hour about the moon? Surprisingly, there's actually quite a bit to talk about. And so that's what we're going to do today. So we're just going to talk about history behind the moon, some deities associated with it, how it's used within the occult sphere, some misconceptions, because you know we got to debunk the misconceptions about the moon and how it's used. And then we have some spiritual shower thoughts kind of thrown in at the bottom to, to end the episode on a fun note. So let's go ahead and just get started. Moon beliefs were actually surprisingly hard to trace, not because there's not a lot of evidence, but because there is almost a surplus of evidence and trying to piece it all together in a sort of cohesive story, almost a a listenable way was very difficult, especially given I'm pretty sure you could probably write whole books about specifically the, the moon history in general. I think a good place to start is to really look at what was the moon viewed as in a spiritual 
an astronomical way because I think it's very intimately or became intimately tied up with the more occult senses of the moon. So the moon, most cultures had lunar calendars and some cultures today still use them. And in fact, it's still used uh, for the Jewish calendar as well as to figure out the Holy Week, like when Holy Week is in Christianity. It's also used for Chinese festivals, specifically the Chinese New Year and the uh, autumn festival, the half autumn festival, I think it was called. So it's it's used throughout the world, but it's not a very practical calendar, unfortunately, even though it's like nice and natural and rhythmic because, well, you get out of sync very, very quickly. And like in ancient Greece, for example, they would just sometimes, sometimes during the year, they would have another January. They're like, let's do it again. I can't imagine anything more nightmarish than having to live the same month or like more surreal than having to live the same month over again. The idea of the moon being like like influencing the earth is very, very old. And there's almost these proto-scientific ideas that we see, for example, in Hesiod's Hesiod's works and days. For those of you who don't know, Hesiod was a poet from Boeotia, the Greek central Greece region. He wrote works and days, which is basically a gigantic list uh, about the specific Boeotian region of Greece and when's the best time to plant your crops. And he uses a lot of astronomical phenomenons in the sky, like when you see Orion just cresting over the hill, like this is a great time to plant uh, leafy greens or something. And part of that advice is for uh, the moon in moon phases. And so that was primarily like what the moon was initially used for was often like agricultural beliefs, which then gets into superstitions uh, about uh, local regions, depending on like when is the best time to plant something. Jumping up to deities. Deities, I think there, there's like two main camps of examining the history of the moon from a more occult perspective. One of them is like moon timings, which generally had to do more with agriculture at first than it did with occult things or, or more had to do with superstitions, which superstitions, I would argue, we could even do an episode about this. Like what what is a cult? What is superstition? What is folklore? When do they cross that line? So a lot of those superstitions are are less like magically based, like less like you're influencing this thing. And this is just like, this is just the way it is. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those superstitions later on. But the other way that the moon came about in spiritual history was through deities. So many scholars for a long time held the belief that the vast majority of lunar deities were female. However, when broadening their research beyond just the so-called West, it becomes clear that this is not the case. Uh, there's also, Henny made a note here, that uh, yes, in the Norse pantheon, Mani is a male god of the moon. We also see in the Egyptian pantheon that both of the gods associated with the moon are male. This idea that the moon was primarily feminine was very much proliferated by our friend Carl Jung, as well as Joseph Campbell and a lot of other people who believed in this idea of collective unconscious and just general you know, early academics. For example, many cultures of the Fertile Crescent, specifically Western Asia, Northeast Africa, Mesopotamian regions have masculine lunar deities. Uh, one thing that's fascinating, though, to see with lunar deities is it's not to say that they're all like super diverse and not interrelated. There are some surprising similarities between them. Uh, one of them is a lot of them have associations with horns or bulls and the crescent rune. That is because if you look at the crescent moon, it forms almost like a horn shape. So sometimes they're depicted as having halos or having horns of some kind, which I thought 
was a very interesting cultural tie. For example, you see the Greek Selene is depicted as horned from the crescent moon, as well as the greater Mesopotamian Sinana, the, the Syrian Agobol, as well as the Persian god Ma all had horn associations. The moon is also heavily associated with death and rebirth. This is seen in the more modern Wiccan triple goddess, but it is also older. It is associated with the unnamed Mayan god, as well as uh, Mama Kila, who is an Incan goddess, and is also associated with the Madagascarian goddess. Also, apologize for my pronunciations of GD names in this episode. They're going to be rough, but I'm going to try. Andrium Bahomanana, which... Uh, she's associated with the banana plant because it puts down new shoots as it dies, as the moon returns each cycle. So there are interesting similarities between certain moon gods and goddesses. These are coming from parts of the world that are 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 very, very diverse and very separate from one another. So there's not necessarily as high of a chance of uh, those cross-pollinations that we see. So I guess to, to just name some interesting moon deities and to expand on kind of those points I was touching on, there's Khonsu and Thoth, which are Egyptian deities and male gods of the moon. Khonsu was an Egyptian god who was uh, instrumental in the creation of new life and was interestingly enough depicted as a mummy, again, keeping with the themes of death and rebirth. Thoth was also worshipped as a moon god, specifically in his aspect of helping like early astrology, and was also associated with Egyptian magic. And then we see Hecate become associated with the moon in the Hellenistic era, as also become becoming associated with Hellenistic era magic. So we do see that association with magic, well, specifically coming out of the, the Hellenistic regions. Yeah, we also have the idea of the moon tied to life with Shang-Yi, or Hengi, as she was originally known, the Chinese goddess of the moon, celebrated during the Mid-Autumn Festival, which was also known, or is also known, it's still celebrated today, as the Mooncake Festival, which is can be traced around 3,000 years, which is a very long time to have any sort of documented history. She is the original kind of my girlfriend turned into the moon for uh, Avatar Lost Airbender fans out there, which is what I titled this this outline. So in one of the more popular versions of the myth, she's married to a man named Hu Yi, and he achieves, he or he gets an elixir of immortality, but doesn't want to drink it because he doesn't want to be separated from his wife. And through either her greed or her being forced to by her husband's jealous apprentice, she consumes the elixir of immortality. But by the time her husband wakes to find her, she's already immortal and floating away to live on the moon. And there's a lot of associations with the sort of dying and rising as James George Fraser would have called that term, although the dying and rising god has its own issues, but there is evidence of that kind of being seen with the moon. I would say a lot of our moon magic comes from the advent of Wicca and witchcraft. There's the ritual called drawing down the moon, which is also called drawing down the goddess, which is a very well-known Wiccan ritual. Basically, the idea is the Wiccan high priestess enters a trance and connects with the triple goddess, usually the triple goddess, symbolized by the moon, and speaks through her. Uh, So this idea came from the Thessalian witches of ancient Greece, who were thought to be able to control the moon, Selene. However, how historical that ancient sort of ritual, like how ancient the ritual is, hard to say, because a lot of our contemporaneous sources were propaganda against Thessaly, because they hated Thessaly for whatever reason. So no one surprised the surgeon in moon lore while always abundant, began to be like analyzed from a more metaphysical and occult standpoint in the Victorian age, and where it was kind of synthesized, especially as this idea of collective unconscious and universal symbolism was beginning to 
to really take off. The moon phase has always been of import, and this is seen like in the PGM and later grimoires. But it was not like paid much attention to. Usually it was like gather this thing on the full moon or gather all of these things on the full moon. And it wasn't just like, you know, har- it wasn't har- about harnessing the energy of the moon. Or at least it wasn't put into those phrases. It's actually not entirely true. So and the reason why I bring that up is because the Picatrix, which is one of the earliest astrological grimoires that we know about, is primarily a moon-based grimoire. It talks about something called the lunar mansions. Most people are familiar with the zodiacal signs as the sun travels through the heavens. It moves into different signs as do all the planets. And while the moon does the same, it also has its own kind of separation into what we call lunar mansions. So the moon completes the full circle against the stars in about like roughly 28 days. Because of that, there is a division of the sky into a number of sections, 28 sections, corresponding to the moon's journey. What's what's interesting, actually, when you compare the lunar mansions to the zodiacal signs, they're often described within each other. So you'll see like the moon from this degree in Aries to this degree in Aries is considered in, to be in the first mansion. The zodiacal sign in which the moon is in, in that particular mansion, actually does have an effect on kind of the overall essence of that mansion. So for instance, the moon in the first mansion, which is within the sign of Aries, is going to be a much more kind of driving, like hard-headed, go-for-it kind of force, just like you would expect from Aries and any other planet. But it's divided more specifically into particular regions. And so within the Picatrix, it'll say, you know, if you're going to do a talisman for the third mansion, for instance, it's good for art and creativity. That might be a time where you wait until you hit the third mansion of the moon, which is in the 25th degree of Aries to the eighth degree of Taurus. And so in the moon, when it's in that mansion, that would be a really good time to do like a talismanic working to bring about art and creativity, perhaps. This in the Picatrix is described more commonly in uses of like love magic. Is anybody surprised <laughs> in an old grimoire? But yeah, that's definitely how it was used in the past. It was very much so based on astrological timing and the mansions of the moon were super, super important. It's funny though, because the mansions are not something that is talked about a lot in, I think, the modern occult community, at least to my knowledge. I know when I was first starting to study planetary magic, like I didn't run across mansions of the moon until I started looking into Christopher Warnock's book on planetary magic and he brought it up quite a lot and then after reading the Picatrix it's only not utilized as much now which I think is funny because it's just like such a classic staple for for talismanic magic but yeah sorry didn't mean to interrupt (laughs) no 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 that's fine yeah I don't know anything about astrological things but yeah I guess I guess more of what I mean is like the moon was seen more in its astrological helpfulness as opposed to like its specific like it's almost viewed now in the very like theosophical idea um, of energy more than it's like astrological meaning I guess well it's funny because now when people talk about like the moon especially in the witchcraft community it's all about the cycle of the moon which which that lunar cycle is important. People talk about how when it's, you know, waxing, it's for you're bringing things into your life. You get the full moon and then it begins to wane. Is that right? Did I say that correctly? I think I did. When it begins to wane, like the light is going away and we reach the the new moon. And so it's, it's really that cycle and that like bringing forth something or getting rid of something that I see discussed the most often 
But in many ways, I just think that's like such a limited view of the moon and its right. usefulness in the craft. And there's so many of like other things you can do, especially with the mansions, but even outside of the mansions, just the moon and certain signs. And yes, the growing and the waning and all of that can be involved too. Like I know in some grimoire traditions, you're asked to obtain things like during the like a specific hour but during the waxing phase of of the moon to like bring something about and so it's it's more common than i think people people are aware of but like that's what i hear people talk about it um in the modern community which definitely seems to have more of like a new age theosophy kind of take just in the overall way like they think about it another thing is there's like a there's like in the modern day and age there's like a weird interesting not weird it's an interesting blending and syncretism i guess between superstitions about the moon and like actual astrological timings because it's like the superstitions are like this is just the way it is whereas the astrological timings are like here is it's more of a here is why this this is or it's more of a, a quote-unquote a science like yeah. if you look at there's a, a fun book i highly recommend you look it up it's free online because it's from 1896 it's called what they say in new england it's about new england uh, folklore and superstitions one of them is like when you see the new moon jingle the money in your pocket and you'll have money until the next moon comes like that reads very i don't know i feel like i could read that in a witchcraft book or what you are doing when you first see the new moon you will do much of while the moon lasts that i don't know speaks to me like the idea of people starting something new on the new moon and there's even more it goes on to say, like, start something new on the new moon. Uh, some say that no work prospers unless begun in the new of the moon. So there is, like, these old superstitions, but they almost became... Scientize is not the right word. Orthodox is also not the right word. It's like they became expected in a lot of ways. They became kind of like the, the tried and true, like, method, as it opposed became, it to just, normalized. like... It yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Normalized, like, across hand tradition, you know, like, not just specifically New England. There are some fun ones that are, like, specific to New England. Yeah, here's a funny one. There's two that I found that were really funny. One of them was, have your hair cut in the new of the moon, and it will come up fine and nice. And this author also includes quotes from townies at that time. Well, not townies. <laughs> they would be townies back then uh, from, like, locals in New England. It says, when I trim Ben's whiskers and cut his hair in the new of the moon, it grows out fast again. <laughs> <laughs> like, why? And this next one's also really good. And also, well, it's really funny. It's bad advice, but it's funny. Kiss the first person you meet after you see the new moon, and you can get whatever you wish for. At any rate, you will at the very least get a present within a month. Wow. <laughs> that doesn't seem like good advice. No, that seems um, like awful advice, but... But yeah, it's interesting that, like, certain superstitions, the idea of, like, planting something both literally and figuratively, like, with money or a business venture, is universal. It became universalized. I think maybe that's the word I would like for. Mm -hmm. It became universalized, this idea. It, it makes sense. It makes sense when you look at how just the moon works and how agriculture works but then certain things that were more localized kind of fell away in favor like the idea of kissing someone <laughs> we understand like why that one would would, would uh, go away but there are certain ones like grow bush beans when the new moon is blue the localization gets kind of shoved aside which i almost think is too bad it is kind of unfortunate especially because like when people talk about things like a blue moon or a flower moon or whatever all the specialized moons are a lot of that kind of stuff had to do with like the agricultural significance of whatever that was happening and so it's funny when i see practitioners oh it's a it's like a blue moon what are people doing and i'm like it's it's really not that special um like it had its relevance like here but it's not for some reason people give those kind of moons like some kind of supernatural 
like heightened importance, even though it's not about the moon itself during that time. It's more attributed to like the actions that you might take in planting seeds or or harvesting or whatever. For example, like I see people like if you ever heard the term like beaver moon or wolf moon, like people talk about these. However, they don't know where they come from. Right. And so like it it, it kind of, you know, I, I hate to say it, but like unless you are in North America and specifically the Northeast Canada and like Northeast Canada in the United States, those things don't really have any relevance because they are specifically come from the Farmer's Almanac, which was first published in 1818. For those of you who don't know, Farmer's Almanac uh, publishes weather predictions and random little folklore. And they also publish moon faces and moon lore. And they've been doing this forever. And their moon lore is specifically centered generally around the Northeast United States. They are the ones who popularized our ideas of these like moon titles. And a lot of them come from the indigenous tribes of northeast america and canada as an example the next full moon is like february 16th at like some hour i don't i don't know i don't actually keep track of the exact hour Uh, and it's called the snow moon which is from a legend from the mi'kmaq people of eastern canada in which the moon was called the snow blinding moon and the almanac also lists other names such as hunger moon the bony moon the little famine moon and if you know anything about the Northeast climate of America and Canada, you will know the harsh conditions, harsh conditions and heavy snow make all of these names quite appropriate. But if you live in areas that like aren't those areas, that the idea of the snow moon or little famine moon doesn't make much sense. It's also called the trapper's moon because early beliefs of colonizers that this was a good time to trap animals with full coats like foxes, beavers and minks. So, like, if you don't live in areas where those things live, you know, it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like a lot of moon traditions are localized. One thing I wanted to talk about before we get too far onto the next section is kind of going back to the idea of, like, natural cycles. And specifically, you mentioned that a lot of lunar deities were associated with, with women. Um, and I actually wonder if that was due to the association with the menstrual cycle. Although that's... It's not really a strict thing, but obviously because the cycle of the moon is kind of approximately 28 days and that approximately lines up with the length of a menstrual cycle, maybe that's possible as to why it was associated with women. Also, the moon is associated with kind of the subconscious relating to its association with water and the tides, because obviously the moon has an effect on the tides. And part of me wonders if that is also due to the kind of assertion that women are emotional. And so it's the kind of like, weird sort of semi-sexist past views that uh, are going on there but a lot of it's tied to yeah like natural cycles and rhythms and things that maybe were not understood in a scientific way back in the olden days there are probably sexist undertones to a lot of different things i think it more has to do with the weird and exclusive scholarship that was done because like i think a lot of early Victorian and Edwardian scholars would pick and choose what gods of the moon they were specifically thinking. And they like would always choose the female deities because there are plenty of of male deities of the moon, like plenty. Like when I was looking it up, it was about 50-50 when it came to, to deities. However, there were early associations, though, between the moon and menstrual cycles. The the Kiche Mayan goddess Awilix was goddess of the underworld as well as specifically connected to women's menstrual cycles. This was also true of Mama Kila, who is the Incan goddess of the moon. But then like we see this in other cultures who we even see this in cultures who are like right next to each other, that that is like definitely not the case. Like in ancient Greece, most of their 
except for men, who was Phrygian god, the moon. When you look at ancient Greece and the Hellenistic age, you have Selenine, Artemis, who are associated with the moon. But then in Egypt, you have Khonsu and Thoth, who are very much not associated with women. I think it, it definitely depends on, on the culture, but I don't think it's universal, which is what like Young and his contemporaries tried to assert. I was thinking about this a bit more, and I was thinking about how much nutrition has an impact on the menstrual cycle, and how menarche, which is the when you actually start your menstrual cycle, has been creeping earlier um, for various different reasons, but um, one of them is nutrition. And how back in ancient societies, maybe periods would not have been as regular. So I wonder if, from a historical perspective, Victorian scholars, for example, they were looking at what menstrual cycles looked like then, and applying that to what it, they assumed it looked like looked like back in ancient times, which may not have been the same thing, right? Just owing to the assertion that it's a biological certainty, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, uh, sort of the retroactive applying modern modern themes onto the the ancients, which is a common problem. Yeah, with the retroactive bias that we yeah. talked about in our bias episode, which if you haven't listened to, you should go do that. Let's maybe talk about some scientific misconceptions of the moon. And I only thought of one really that like stands out to me because I hear it all the time. But if you both have others, feel free to pop them in. And that is that the full moon makes people go crazy. And it's interesting because this idea of lunacy actually comes from Aristotle, both Aristotle and Pliny the Elder, suggesting that because the brain was the most moist organ in the body, they're looking at organs here, not just like blood. So <laughs> keep that in mind. It was the most perceptible to the pernicious influences of the moon, which then was triggered by these, by these constant cycles and these changing tides. This idea was debated at the time by a couple of other people especially when science began to become ooh, hello science began to become really popular there were physicians who were like no the moon is this object in the sky there's no spiritual association thus like this idea holds no credence people still took it and ran with it there are even psychiatrists today who have claimed that the full moon's effects on behavior rises from its influence on water, citing the fact that the human body is composed 80% of water. That is a true fact, but I would encourage people to remember, biologically speaking, that it's not just water sloshing around your insides. There's a bunch of stuff in that water, and so it's not quite that simple. But outside of psychology, like I mentioned earlier, we hear this a lot within the spiritual community. You know, if we're made up of so much water... And the moon interacts with the tides, which are also water, that it must have an effect, right? What are your what are your thoughts on that? Have you both heard that as well? I've spoken to a lot of people about this. Um, my mom always says, like, oh, I, I never sleep well on the on the um, full moon, and I always feel like weird around the full moon. And I was also speaking to my friend who is a pediatrician in the the ER, and she was saying how the kind of the legend around then is that there are. A lot of extra admissions around that time like it just goes crazy on the full moon like there's more accidents and people are just like more emotionally charged around that time and it's just one of those kind of rumors but she said that the, it appears to be somewhat true and so i did actually look into this i did i think you you did too because there have actually been quite a few studies on things like uh, admissions to the health units for example and also to emergency rooms during the full moon. And smaller studies, I believe, did find an effect. But when you actually control for that effect and 
and you look in much larger studies, you find that the um, it was just due to a statistical bias or it was an aberration. There was one review that looked at a, a number of these these kind of individual studies. They essentially said that like the lack of controls made it really hard to definitively say one or, one or another. And they specifically gave the example of one study that looked at the effect of the full moon on car accidents. But these accidents happened on a full moon during the weekend when naturally people would be out more just because it's the weekend doing things that they may not be able to do during the week. And so when they compared the number of accidents during the full moon to just like a typical, like if you compared it during the week, yes, it was just, it was like statistically more, but compared to another weekend, it, there was no statistical difference between the two suggesting that the full moon actually had no effect. And that's, I think, what's so hard about these studies is that not only do you have to have controls and, like, I mean, it's I think it would be hard to to put, like, effective controls in place. But also just this, the study size is not particularly favorable <laughs> in a lot of them if you actually look into the, the original research. But... There doesn't seem to be a lot of science supporting the idea. Obviously, you also have to control for werewolf attacks, which would uh, yeah. enhance the number of people getting admitted to the ER. <laughs> but yeah, you, you make a really good point. And also, you can't really blind people to that effect. So say that somebody somebody believes that they are more unlucky on the new moon or that bad things are going to happen to them on the new moon. They're going to look outside and see the moon. Like, you, you cannot blind them to an effect like that. So yeah, it is possible that there is also some kind of self-fulfilling uh, bias there as well. Yeah, which also leads to, like, this idea that the ERs and stuff are more crazy on, like, the full moon. It could just be they're, they're, they're looking for it, right? Maybe it feels like it because they're aware of it. That kind of placebo, it's at the forefront of my mind, therefore I am, am now looking for it. Like, the thing people do with angel numbers and whatever. I was reading an article by Scientific American, not the best source in the world, but they essentially had a bunch of uh, statistics and they were like, yeah, we talked to medical practitioners and it was like 80% of them said that they believed that the full moon has something to do with like the craziness that they experienced during like those kind of three days in the hospitals. So I definitely think it's a widely held superstition for sure. That's kind of what we hear about in the spiritual community and even outside of it, clearly, with, with other um, like medical practitioners. The idea that it has that the moon can affect us the way it affects the tides is wrong. It's not, okay, wrong. I mean, it's not supported. <laughs> I would argue it's wrong, but that's, I can't conclusively prove that, so. And there are really two reasons that this kind of explanation lacks credence. So the first is that the gravity exerted on us as people by the moon is minuscule, like super tiny. Astronomer George Abel of the University of California in Los Angeles noted that a mosquito sitting on our arm exerts a more powerful gravitational pull on us than the moon does. So hardly enough to make anybody like actually go mad. And the reason for this is also because the moon's gravitational pull only affects open bodies of water, like oceans and lakes, but not something that like water contained within a person. So there's also that differential to keep in mind. And I'll get into the gravitational pull like science later, and maybe that'll make a little bit more sense. I'm curious, like, do you both put any stock in this idea that people go crazy on the full moon? Like, is that something that you've experienced? As somebody, like, on Discord, <laughs> LIQ admins and mod servers, like, I definitely swear to God <laughs> something happens. Because people do. I feel like they just lose their shit. I'm like, what is going on? And then I'll look at it and I'm like, oh, it's the new moon. 
or new moon, full moon. That's why people are like going insane. It's just, it's weird because I don't, there's no validity behind it. It doesn't seem like, but I, I would say it's definitely a phenomena. I don't know. I, I have personally, like I have no personal experience with like, you know, like I don't wake up and go, oh, it's the new moon because like everyone's going crazy. If anything, like I put more stock into like m- more specific astrological timings yeah i don't i don't see them like it's weird because it's like this cross-cultural phenomenon it's not even just aristotle who or like the greeks who like believe that it's like very much a a thing that is seen cross-culturally there's something there but i don't know what it is but i've personally like never felt that way or noticed anything maybe i also just like live around weird people who are kind of always losing their minds Are there any other misconceptions that you've heard about the moon? Oh, moon water. Should we talk about moon water? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moon water water is another thing that's really hard to find the history of. I tried, this was last year sometime. I tried for literally hours of scouring primary sources and (laughs) various deluges in the internet just trying to find where it began and i genuinely cannot find a beginning the first time that the idea of moon water independent from anything else and i'll get to what i mean in that seems to just kind of have spontaneously appeared sometime in the mid-2000s just judging of when it started popping up on the early internet (laughs) and when i say divorce from other things i mean like if you look at early charm books or even in the pgm or even other grimoires, you'll oftentimes see things like gather so such and such under a full moon or whatever. And it's usually not just water. Oftentimes it's like all of your ingredients or like the whole spell itself should be done under a full moon. But the idea of specifically water does not appear to be a common phenomenon. And the uh, like phrasing of moon water is, is very recent. You know, like people weren't just like randomly making moon water. If it was, it was for like a very specific ritual. They were gathering this water on a specific phase of the moon to do in this love charm, say. Whereas now it seems to be moon water um, divorced from any sort of other ritual, you know? People will be like, don't forget to make your moon water. I'm like, but what are you using it for? Literally. It seems to be a weird combination of like, because the moon affects open bodies of water, people then assume that it affects water sitting in a jar. And also this idea of kind of capturing the energy of the moment which is a very talismanic <laughs> mindset to have it's why we make talismans during specific like astrological events because we're the goal is to trap kind of that specific energy and then use it for workings later on another thing that i noted too where i think the big difference comes in is that we don't draw well okay that's a lie my family partially drew its own water but the vast majority of people especially if they're living in suburbs or cities which you know the vast majority of people live in suburbs or cities because that's just the nature of population density. You're not drawing your own water. So the idea of like drawing the water was also like part of the act, you know, drawing the water on a full moon. So it wasn't like the whole water in your well was charged with a specific phasing of the moon. That's like the point. A lot of the difference is as we switch to a more modernized form of water also i just plugged moon water into google trends very very like six hits in 2000 january 2004 which is when google trends started oh utah that's interesting 
Utah is the highest amount of fits from Well, there's moments. Oh, this is actually interesting. Okay, maybe I should narrow down my search because some of it is searching for water on the moon. Let me narrow it down to spirituality. Okay, here we go. So I lied. There are no hits for moon water on the internet until August 2009. Like there are no hits and all Google Trends, until August 2009, when out of nowhere there is a hundred hits. Appears to be none from 2004, then there's suddenly out of nowhere, there's a hundred in 2009, and then it's silent again until 2014, which I find very interesting because you want to know what platform <laughs> became popular in 2014. The answer is Tumblr.com. <laughs> because 2014 was when Tumblr started shifting away from just being an emo only site and into being in the greater public. So that's very, very interesting to me. But I want to know what it was in 2009. I do too, but it's interesting. If you if you condense your search also to like online communities, there's two massive spikes. One in 2013 and there's another in April of 2019. So a year before the pandemic occurred, which I also Probably find interesting. On. Yeah, it seems to have popped up out of nowhere with no historical basis, really. That's so bizarre. It's so overrated. <laughs> I guess is like where I land at the end of the day. And I think you make a good point, Phil, about how it was the drawing up of the water at the specific timing that was more important, like the action itself, because that's the case for a lot of things, at least in... The ceremonial sense, like we do things during specific hours. Be, I mean, it's it's that correspondence of timing rather than just the ingredient itself. Like it's not about the water; it's about the effort being put in at that moment. Which something that um, I think yeah. is worth mentioning as well is the fact that you said it's the Easter moon. So you mentioned earlier that the Easter and um, a lot of the Christian celebrations are actually related to the moon cycle itself. Like that's what they're determined. Well, Good Friday is a day which is associated with basically drawing away the devil. Like it's it's, mm. it's auspicious for that reason, but it's and so these herbalist ideas, a lot of them came from very heavily Christianized um, kind of herbalists who would be who would consider taking water and taking ingredients at that time because it was the least likely to draw kind of misfortune, bad spirits, etc. So I think it's it's more to do with Easter necessarily than it is to do with the moon. That being said, I don't necessarily think that there's a problem with it being a talismanic thing. Like maybe it's more convenient for you to make moon water and like water your plants with it. And then you have the essence of it. But yeah, it's it's maybe not, it didn't develop in the way that people thought that it did. That's something that's definitely come up kind of more recent in, in modern um, communities. Any other weird things you can recall about the moon? I couldn't think of any either. I was like going through that section and I was like, what have I heard that I think is just so silly? It's mostly those two. I have a ton of superstitions about the moon, but I don't know where they came from. But I, it, And they're just like things like um, you're not supposed to look at a moon through glass. Have you heard of that one? Interesting. No. No? that's. It makes me worried because I'm like, if I look at a photograph of the moon, am I technically looking at a moon through glass? That kind of thing. And there's loads and loads and loads of these if you look them up. You mentioned these superstitions earlier. And they're not even things that I can draw to logical, like, farmer's almanac type explanations. They're just random, interesting things. Um, but I have no idea really where they come from. Interesting. Yeah, I've never heard that. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, wild moon superstitions. Like, honestly, like, if you live 
in the the Northeast U.S. or Canada. I highly recommend checking out the Farmer's Almanac. The Farmer's Almanac isn't going to be my hot take this episode. The Farmer's Almanac is an absolutely underrated piece of, of magical information. Because a lot of it is about working the land and there's superstitions and lore in there. That, that's my promo for the day. Farmer's Almanac brought to you by Phil. The Farmer's <laughs> Almanac should just be the replacement for all of these like notebooks and stuff that have like yeah. the moon face and stuff. Like just go buy the $3 Almanac. I don't spend it's so cheap. $30 it's on so like cheap. some book that gives you the same information. <laughs> the Farmer's Almanac will actually like, I don't know, tell you useful things about the weather and the climate. Well, and about your region too. Like it's region specific, yeah. which is super useful, really. The OG Farmer's Almanac was just the Northeast, but I think now they have Farmer's Almanacs for all it's over. Like, yeah, I think they do too. Okay, let's talk about science. Given this idea of, of the moon's gravity being such a common misconception topic, I wanted to talk about it. So if the moon's gravitational pull is responsible for our day's lengths and the tides, then how can we say it doesn't have an effect on us? I already kind of touched on this earlier, but I want to go a little bit deeper. So the moon's greatest, and I will actually link a video in the description that helps explain this like visually because it's hard, I think, to understand what I'm talking about just by listening. But the moon's greatest effect on Earth according to astronomers, has actually been the length of our days. So billions of years ago, Earth was spinning at a much faster rate with a six-hour day rather than a 24-hour day. And it's with the help of the moon specifically that Earth has been slowing down and our days have gotten longer. You can find evidence of this in archaeology by observing growth rings and fossil corals and um, stromatolites, which show that around like 850 million years ago, days lasted for only about 21 hours. Now, in all fairness, a lot of this is done through carbon dating, which is not the most reliable technique. So it's kind of a give and take about the full number of hours. But still, the theory is really interesting. And there is a decent amount of evidence suggesting that this is the case. But over time, the moon's gravitational pull has stolen some of the Earth's spin energy. And because of this, it's essentially launched itself into a higher orbit. And this was actually confirmed by the Apollo laser experiments that essentially showed us that the moon is moving away at, I think the rate was like two inches per year, roughly, which is also fascinating. And I wonder if there will ever be a time where it gets like too far, whereas gravitational effects don't actually have that much of a effect. But regardless, so it's responsible for the length of our days and it's changed over time, but it's also responsible for the tides. And this is the one that everybody talks about. Earth's rotation and the gravitational pull of both the sun and the moon actually collectively create tides. And you might actually think that because the sun is so much larger than the moon, 27 million times more massive, actually, it would have a greater gravitational pull. That's not true because tidal forces depend on gravity being based more on distance than the mass. So the smaller moon actually exerts a stronger, stronger tidal force on Earth because of how close it is. The moon is about 238,000 miles from Earth, but the sun is 92 million miles away. So that proximity is really what gives the moon its strength in terms of the gravitational effect that it has on Earth and the tides. The Earth's oceans respond to the moon by doing something called bulging and then also dipping on the other side as the moon revolves around the Earth. So tides move with the moon. <laughs> so think of like 
the water on earth kind of being pulled to like towards the moon and so that creates these tides and on the side where the earth is facing the moon that's called the high high tide but on the side where the earth is not facing the moon it's called the low high tide and so this is what causes these tidal shifts within these really large bodies of water and you actually it's interesting because you can look at it in the ocean you can then also look at it in like freshwater lakes and you see a lesser effect but it's still there those tides are still really strong and that's that's kind of how that happens and of course the sun does have a gravitational pull of itself and also attributes to these tides but it's much much less like we talked about before so that's, that's generally how that works and why it has such an effect on the Earth and the length of our days and, and the tides itself. But hopefully that also helps you kind of understand why, like, as a person, the moon probably wouldn't affect you. Like, you don't have enough water in your body to undergo those really massive shifts that require these much larger bodies of free water. I was kind of looking into the science a little bit um, myself, and I, I kind of really wasn't really sure where we were going with the science of the moon, because there's so much. Like, there's... That's just so much science. <laughs> um, but I wanted to know, like, okay, well, what, where did our moon come from? Because obviously we, uh, historically, we knew, yes, there's this big disc in the sky and it comes out at night and sometimes in the day as well. And obviously when we developed telescopes, initially we had an idea from Aristotelian astronomy that it might be a satellite, but we didn't know for sure. And then with the development of telescopes in the 1600s, we kind of knew a little bit more about it and could understand that it was circular. And obviously the different faces of the moon um, suggested that it was spherical because it, um, the moon doesn't show you the same face every single time. And it has different craters, um, which are described as seas. And it became more apparent that the moon was obviously a satellite, so it's something orbiting the Earth. But where did, where did that satellite actually come from? Like, how did we obtain a moon? And so one of these ideas is that it might have actually been from an asteroid which hit the Earth about 100 million years ago. And so it's basically a big fragment of the Earth, which then broke off, coalesced from all the kind of dust, and now is a satellite. However, there were some missions to the moon, the Apollo moon missions, which basically took portions of moon rock and they used um, various, different kind of, various different chemical techniques like mass spec and also carbon dating to see how similar moon rock was to earth rock so like okay if it's a satellite it's pro then it's broken off from the earth it's probably going to be mostly similar right uh, but they found that that was not necessarily the case so then there are some other ideas that maybe we just stole the moon <laughs> from somewhere else so the moon was basically a satellite of something else or maybe not another asteroid that that kind of fell into our orbit i think the asteroid theory is the most accepted right now but the truth is that they're there are a lot of um, hotly debated theories right now. Yeah. Anything else before we move on to our moon shower thoughts? Sure. Okay. Wow. I see Henny typing some wild takes in the shower thoughts. So. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, let's just talk about it. So would magic be more powerful on the moon? I think we've covered this before. Maybe I think we have actually. On a different shower yeah. thoughts episode. Do you want to just skip that one? Yeah. obviously gravity uh, negatively influences your magic so yeah it will be way more powerful because obviously the, the gravity on the moon is about a sixth of what it is on earth and so you would be infinitely more powerful on yeah the moon. i mean i could do my rituals like i could jump and like do my rituals in the air like, could you imagine how big that would be dude that'd be so much fun you could just jump in the air and do a full ass lbrp like <laughs> in the air on yeah. the moon surface <laughs> You chuck, you chuck like you're, I don't know, like you're throwing herbs and they just like float off. 
What if you're on the moon, can you draw down the earth? I don't see why not. So you have these, I'm like, sure, why not, you know? <laughs> like, would the earth, would the earth then factor into your astrological timings? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So it's not. That would probably change them the way, the way, since the way that you're oriented would probably change. I mean, you essentially put the moon at the center of everything, right? Instead of the earth, it would be their closest neighbor, which, yeah, yeah, it would definitely change the planetary stuff. You can make earth water. Oh, God. <laughs> to another question actually then does water on the moon equal moon water yeah why not yeah i think it would i mean First it would be much more much more precious wouldn't it really i think it's a whole thing like they've been trying to find water on the moon because water is obviously likely to be required for a huge number of chemical processes so if they found water they're like it it's much more likely they'll be able to find life and if we found life on the moon then we found aliens and so it would be much more interesting to find water on the moon in my opinion listen Perseverance just got just got fixed. So maybe if we're lucky, we'll get some Mars water. I'm really excited about that. Did I you guys watch the did you watch the video of the Mars like rover on the planet? It was so fascinating. I literally was following it like during launch day. I followed it on launch day. And I remember I logged on I hate Twitter, but I logged onto Twitter just to see Perseverance post her first selfie. Yeah, on Mars, like she she has a Twitter account. She'll post random selfies, and I like cried. I was like, "Oh my gosh, you guys!" It was so cool, and the sounds were eerie. It was weird. I was I was all about it. I was so excited. But yeah, I mean, I think if there was water on the moon, like it would count. Probably be cooler and more. I don't know, magically useful than moon water. It would certainly be more like have a much greater correspondence since we literally took it from the moon. I also don't think, I think if you found moon water, I unfortunately don't think you'd be able to use it because it probably would be whisked away by NASA. Probably. <laughs> so. I don't even know, like, would water even stay, like, if for, if somehow you were able to, like, get it out of rocks in the moon, it'd be like Moses over here on the moon, cracking a rock open. <laughs> Moses on the moon! Moses on the moon sounds like a band name or something. <laughs> <laughs> like if water sprayed out of a rock anyways i don't think it would stay like on the surface and just leave it up into space so you'd have to collect it somehow which would be difficult that's yeah if you drink water from the moon is that like a crime because it's so rare <laughs> only one way to find out true probably a crime to your body your body will be like why i mean i don't know if it's water it's like surely i mean do you think they'd have like electrolytes and salt and stuff surely they would probably it would probably fuck you up <laughs> oh my god oh, drink no moon water would probably kill you yeah let's be real what are some of the other ones you were thinking about uh, there's just one that Henny wrote that says, do mermaids worship the moon? Oh, my God. Um, well, that implies two things. One, that mermaids exist. And two, that they weren't, that they have an organized culture. Uh, sure, why not? That's my answer. If they exist in the sea, obviously the sea is dictated by the tides, which, as we have learned from Astro, the, the tides are dictated by the moon. Ergo, it makes sense that mermaids would worship the moon. That's the that's the sound logic like a Victorian uh, academic you've got there. <laughs> Well, isn't it true that, like, do you ever watch like, Peter Pan? I don't know. Did you both watch Peter Pan as a kid? Yeah. 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 So there's. Penny says no. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I've read the book. I've read the book. It's very sad, actually. It's it is very sad. It's well. sad. Okay, well, Hanny, when you come down to visit, we will all watch Peter Pan together. But anyway, so there's the scene in Peter Pan where the mermaids are sitting on the rock, and they're, like, brushing their hair and singing to each other. And don't they do it in the light of the moon? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there's. There you go. There's some like solid evidence to that theory. 
that a mermaid solid evidence ship. solid absolutely solid this cartoon if you're a mermaid please write in and tell us if you worship the moon yeah <laughs> yeah it's a requirement to be initiated into the mermaid coven well no, no no do you remember wait this is like another one there's a show on oh god it was forever ago it was when i was really little called like h2o fell do you know what i'm talking about no i lived under okay. a rock for like most of the 2000s so that's fair h2o and then there was a spinoff called mako mermaids i sound like such a fucking nerd here but that's okay and essentially they had this like coven and they had magical powers basically and anytime they touched water they turned into mermaids and it was like very heavily like based on the moon so they had like a mermaid cove and every time there was like wow. a full moon they had to get into the the pond thing in their cove and like rejuvenate their powers or whatever it was very moon heavy so i mean i think there's something there honestly i'm there sending you with a link to this show so that i don't well, we're, so we're really gonna we're we're ending this episode on a really strong note here <laughs> i promise we're all very scientifically minded <laughs> and if you don't believe us you can come check us out on the Discord and see that we are much more than we sound like in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we hold um, discussions about interesting papers that come out, both scientifically and occult related, and talk about whether we think the data is like good and the conclusions are good as well. We also just hang out. We have really good memes. So if you're a fan of that, come join. We'll have the link in the description box below i have a final question for you guys okay quick okay, fire. Yeah. okay. Um, what is your favorite thing in your occult practice or i guess in your scientific life to do with the moon oh wow i like to blow the moon kisses <laughs> <laughs> i blow the moon kisses and i go hello yeah i don't know <laughs> that that's that's what being a modern pagan is is saying hello to the moon <laughs> I don't know, I just like the moon, it's cool. I like that you can see its craters. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. epic. What about you, Hanny? I usually hold my rituals to Hecate on the new moons. That's of questionable scholarship, but basically because ancient priests was on a lunar calendar, the idea was that people would supposedly hold feasts to Hecate on the new moon because it was when the sky was dark, and then you would put out offerings at crossroads, so... That's something that I follow, and um, it's particularly special to me because of that. I mean, I don't do this often because it was a intense experience, but I've had a couple of interactions with the Olympic spirit of the moon, and I find them to be really, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know how to describe it. Anyways, but it's like those rituals have been some of my favorites that I've done just because of the nature of the spirit that like I've encountered. And so I always feel like I'm going to an intimidating <laughs> friend who is like there to listen to my qualms and like help if I you know ask for it. And so I think that's my favorite thing to do with the moon, honestly. I just like to evoke the Olympic spirit and like chat. More formal than that. I don't just like chat, but you know. I definitely, it is funny though, on the days when I walk outside, like super early in the morning, if I have to go to work really early for whatever reason, I do always love looking up and seeing the moon just like right outside my window. I'm like, oh, you're so pretty. Hello. And then I forget about it and I go about my day. Cool. That's it. <laughs> All right. We will end it there. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will see you next week. Have a good day. Bye.